Hey, it's good to be together tonight. We have a lot going on tonight, and so we're going to jump right in the Word. If you need a Bible tonight, somebody, and I don't even know who that person is, but somebody would like to hand you a Bible tonight. It's really important to us every time that we gather to open the Scriptures together. So if you need a Bible, just throw your hand in the air like you don't. Um, and we're going to open up God's word tonight to the gospel of Luke. This is a series that we're in. We'll be in Luke chapter 1. Truly, in, in each of our lives, there, we've had people in our lives who have had a deep and profound impact on us. And, and a lot of times, these are people that we don't know. And uh, for me, there was, there was a person who, one of the people who's had the most influence on my life was a pastor named Eugene Peterson. And he was not a mega church pastor. I highly doubt he had Twitter or Instagram. Um, his congregation was actually really small. And, uh, but he pastored for many years faithfully. And he gained recognition and maybe even you know, fame in the Christian world because of the books that he wrote. Uh, he wrote a paraphrase of the scriptures called The Message, which has had a deep impact on many lives, probably even many in this room. And, and he wrote books on what it means to be a pastor that, that, that really shaped my understanding of what it actually was that God had called me to in, in my life. And he would write books about biblical characters, and, and he would write about these characters as if they were old friends of his. And, and, but mostly he'd, he'd write about Jesus. And he wrote about Jesus in a way that I became convinced that he actually knew him. He, he'd write about Jesus with this sense of wonder and who Christ is. And it was contagious and it helped to shape my life. And a couple of weeks ago, Eugene Peterson went to heaven. And in his last book, he wrote these words that I want us to consider as we open the Bible tonight. He wrote this. He said, we need an incarnational imagination. An incarnational imagination. Or as he said, a Jesus-soaked imagination so that every truth becomes a lived truth. Tonight, I want to invite us as we open the scriptures, as we hear the good news about Jesus I want us to do that with an incarnational imagination, a Jesus-soaked imagination, a sense of wonder. Why would we do that? It's because when we see Jesus, we see everything else differently. When we see Jesus as he truly is, something, changed, something changes in us, something shifts in us, and that is what's happening tonight in the Gospel of Luke. We have committed to spend up to the next two years in the Gospel of Luke, each week preaching Jesus, each week singing and worshiping Jesus, each week coming to the table of communion to remember Jesus. We're committed to this, not just for two years, but for forever. But in this series on Luke, we want to see him. And so our text tonight is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. I invite you to turn there tonight. That's where we'll be reading from. It's what we'll be looking at. Uh, Luke, at this point in the story, is um, he is setting the stage for the birth of Christ. He's telling these stories. He's introducing us to these characters who, who help to pave the way, to help us prepare to see Jesus born in the flesh. 
and we're learning about Mary, the mother of Jesus, she has been given the news that she will give birth to a son, the Messiah, the, the King. And her relative, Elizabeth, who is much, much older than her, is also going to have a son. And both of these pregnancies are miracles, and these stories of these two women come together tonight as we read, and we, we'll see this in starting in verse 39 as Mary sets off on a journey. It says, it says this, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to say this tonight because we should, we should pause after a, after a statement like that. At our church, and I realize that not all of you are part of our church, and maybe you're just checking out Jesus, maybe you're just here for the baptism to support your neighbor or family member, but what we believe is that Jesus is that wonderful, that Jesus is that powerful, that magnificent, that life-altering, that even when he is in the womb of his teenage pregnant mother, she walks into a room and someone's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the kind of thing that awakens an imagination. That's what happened in, in, in Mary and Elizabeth in this story and Luke as he, as he tells it. Jesus is so powerful. He walks in the room and actually not him walking in the room, his pregnant mother I don't even know how else to say it. It's weird, right? His pregnant mother walks into the room and people get filled with the Holy Spirit. He's that powerful. He's that wonderful. He's that awesome. If we're going to have the kind of imagination that Eugene Peterson invites us to, a, a Jesus-soaked imagination, the first thing I want you to know tonight is that is only possible by us being filled with the Spirit of God. All throughout Luke's account of the life of Jesus, when people respond to Christ favorably, when they respond to Christ in faith, it's because the Holy Spirit fills them. And here the Holy Spirit is, is filling lives and hearts even before Jesus is born. And it causes both of these women to break out in singing. It's like they walk up and they greet each other and they just start singing. And I like that. Mary, or Elizabeth starts and she, she begins to sing a song or exclaim something about what's happening. She says this in verse 42. She says to Mary, she says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the son of your greeting, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We can't spend as much time talking about the song that Elizabeth starts singing, what she starts proclaiming, but, but she keeps saying this word over and over. It's the word blessed. She says, Mary, you're blessed. 
She says, this baby that's growing inside you, this baby's blessed. And she's saying, I, I'm blessed. And, and, and Elizabeth's baby is blessed. He's, he's literally leaping for joy when his cousin Jesus comes into the room. And, and this moment is destined to happen. And, and, and Elizabeth has eyes to see what's going on because the Holy Spirit fills her. So she keeps saying this, this you're blessed and I'm blessed and, and our babies are blessed and, and we're all blessed. It's good news. And she receives it and she proclaims it because God has filled her with his spirit. But tonight we're going to focus in on Mary's song, what's called uh, Mary's Magnificat. Um, I think one of the greatest songs that's ever written. And so when Elizabeth gives this news to Mary, she breaks out in a worship song and she, she begins to just sing. It's, it's this amazing song. And, and what I want us to, to see tonight, what I want us to discover is why is it that Mary starts to sing? Why does she begin to worship God when she hears this news from Elizabeth? And there's three reasons. I'm going to give them to you now and then we're going to read her song. But the reasons I believe that she erupts in praise is because God sees God acts and God speaks. Her song goes like this. I think we'll discover those things as we read it. In verse 46, it says, Mary said, but really it's Mary sang, I think. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is her song. She begins to sing this truth out loud. What is she saying? She's saying that God sees her. And she goes on to say God has acted on her behalf. And finally she says God has spoken, and he's spoken to her. Tonight we're going to see that. It starts with God seeing her. I don't know if you noticed, but in, in verse 48, that's what she says. She says, he, and she's talking about God. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. What is she saying? She's saying, he's God, God sees me. God looked at me in my humble estate. Now, what she's not, this isn't like a humble brag. She's not saying, I'm so humble that God looked at me. Isn't that awesome? She's saying, God looked at me. I, I don't even know why. For her to say this humble estate, what she means is she says, I don't really have any reason for God to look at me, but God has seen me. This theme of God seeing a person is, is throughout all of the scriptures. And one of the, one of the great stories of the Old Testament, we're not going to turn there tonight, I'm just going to tell it to you, comes from Genesis 16. It's about this servant girl named Hagar. And Hagar, like Mary, is young and pregnant. And Hagar's pregnancy is 
incredibly complicated. I can't even get into how complicated it is, but you could read it in Genesis 16. It's, it's messy. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's, it's actually not going well. And, and Hagar has actually been mistreated. She's been mistreated by the people who are supposed to be following God. And, and she's at, at the point of the story is she's fleeing. She's running. She's doing everything she can to hide. She's afraid for herself. She's afraid for her unborn child. And, and the story tells us that the angel of the Lord comes after her. The angel of the Lord finds her and he blesses her and he encourages her and he speaks a word to her. And she responds. This is very early on in the Bible. She doesn't know who this God is that has come after her. So she makes up a name for him. She says, you are El Ra'ai, the God who sees me. When no one else would see her, when no one else cared about her life, God, Yahweh, the true God, came after her to find her, to look for her. She, she literally says this about God. She says, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. When God sees us, something changes in our lives. Something changes in our vision for ourselves and for the world. Um, that's what I believe is happening in Mary. She says, God, you, you looked at me and everything changed. And, and, and I need you to see this tonight. When you believe that God sees you, you begin to see everything in a new life. Mary is also in a tough spot. Mary's in a complicated pregnancy. This is strange. She's going to live the rest of her life as the girl who claimed that God got her pregnant. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't sound right, does it? And, and th but this is her story. So her pregnancy is complicated, but and she'll probably receive scorn for that. She'll probably be put down. She'll probably be gossiped about throughout her life. But she sees everything differently because God sees her. She sees her whole life and existence in a new way. She says this. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And she says in verse 48, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. God sees her. So here's what she sees. She fast forwards way past the end of her life and says, you know what? Forever and ever, people are going to say this about Mary. They're going to say this about me. Uh, Mary was blessed. God saw Mary and, and he blessed her. She says, this is going to happen throughout all generations. Truly, she may experience the opposite of that in her life. She may feel this sense of being ostracized as an outcast. Remember, she's poor. She's, she's, she's nobody. She's this pregnant teenage girl. And she says, you know what, though? God saw me. And my whole life is blessed. And someday in a church, November 4th, 2018, they're still going to be talking about how God blessed me. Why? Because God saw her. Something changes when we believe that God sees us. The second thing that Mary believes is that God acts, that God actually does something on her 
behalf. She, she begins to say it this way in verse 49. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. God has, has, has done something in my life. Not only has he seen me, he's noticed me, he's, he's picked me, he chose me, and, and you know what? He's doing something in my life. He's doing great things for me. This, this news that, and she's just singing this to her aunt or whoever Elizabeth is, she's just, here you go. It, this, this is good news. God has done something amazing in me. But it's not just for her. She's singing about how God acts, it's certainly in her life, but how God is doing something great in the world. And she's calling it out. So how does God act? How does God act in our world? There's, there's this phrase that's often used in the Bible. If you were in our series in the book of Isaiah, um, you heard us talk about this. It's this phrase, the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is a term that's used about God to describe the type of thing that only God can do. The arm of the Lord is God's redemptive power, his salvation on display, whether that's him pulling his people out of Egyptian slavery or whether that's him redeeming them in battle. It's the arm of the Lord. It's something that only God can do and Mary starts talking about the arm of the Lord. In verse 51, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. She's saying, what's happening right now in my life, and I'm just going to sing about it, is God's redemptive work for the whole world. And it's not just an activity that God is doing. It's more personal than that. Because the arm of the Lord is actually this unborn baby growing in her. That's God's saving, redemptive work in the world. She's saying, God is doing something, and to be really specific, God gave me this baby, and God gave us this baby. He's at work. He's powerful. He's doing something. But what are the kinds of things that God's doing? What, are the, what is God's activity? What is, what, is, what, is God, what is his actions actually, what are they? She tells us this in her song. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when God starts to work, he does both the work of building up and tearing down. Did you notice that in her song? It's not all super positive. Like we sing like, Jesus loves me. You know, like it's all it's like really positive. But Mary's song has like a, a negative tone in it as well. Did you, I don't know if you caught that. It starts in verse 51 when she says, he has shown strength with his arm. And then she says, he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That doesn't sing very well, does it? Like that doesn't, it's like, how do we, how do we talk about that? God is, is scattering the proud. It also says that he's, he's tearing down the mighty and, and the rich. And, and, and this, is, this is what fills her song. It starts, but she starts talking about the proud. She says, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart by sending this, this baby the son of God into the world. She says, God's scattering the proud. If you read the scriptures on multiple occasions, it says this, that God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. When we read the scriptures, there's, there's this kind of news as well. When God's at work, he's actually crushing pride in our world. The proud in the scriptures are those who've shifted all their confidence from God to themselves. This is how the Bible talks about the proud. It's, it's the ones who are self-sufficient, the ones who live with a sense of arrogance, a sense of stubbornness, a sense of self-reliance that I don't actually need God. And the scriptures say that is a grave error. The scriptures say that there's perhaps no worse way to live your life than in pride. And Mary starts singing and she starts talking about that. She's like, God's going to scatter the proud in their thoughts. Jesus came to defeat pride. He came to tear that down because it, it, it works against his redemptive purposes in the world. And so when God steps into the world in Jesus, he says, I'm going to crush pride. I'm going after pride. And he also says this, she, she sings out, she says, God is tearing down the mighty. Verse 52, she says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Where does Mary live? She lives in an occupied country. Her people, Israel, which are God's people, have been ruled over. They've been oppressed. They've been taken captive by the most powerful nation on earth, Rome. And Rome rules by, by crushing their opponents, by occupying their land, uh, levying taxes on people to ensure that they live in a perpetual state of, of poverty. They set up local governors to rule. And in fact, there's a local one named Herod who, who seems to be ruling in, um, in Israel right now. And, and Mary, this poor teenager, starts to break out in a song and says, you know, actually Herod's not on the throne, it's God. Can you imagine her walking through the streets singing that song? How, um, how that would sound? Well, the first thing is that it wouldn't make any sense because she realized like 10 seconds ago that she was pregnant and really nobody else knows. But she's singing that God's done something. She says it in the past, past tense. I don't know if you saw that. She says, he has torn down the mighty from their thrones. This has already happened. This is as good as done because God's stepping into the world through Jesus. Now what's happening? Her imagination is awakening because of Jesus. This is a Jesus-soaked imagination that you and I need to live in a broken world. She says, you know what? God's on the throne. This is what's happening right now. God tears down the mighty from their thrones. She also says this, she says that the rich are sent away empty. And that's actually what it says. It, <laughs> I wanted to say something different because like, I mean, surely comparatively to the world, I am rich. And if you drove here in a car, you are as well. And, and, and she says that the rich are sent away empty. In, in the scriptures, wealth is, is not inherently evil. 
It's not, it's not wrong to, to, to experience success in your life. It's not wrong to work hard and to be paid for it. But, but so often in the scriptures, the proud and mighty and the wealthy get lumped together because what often comes with wealth is this sense of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency. And, and how many um, people who have experienced great wealth have, have used it against the poor? How much of that happens in our world? And so Mary says, um, the rich, well, she says it right here. She says it in verse 53. She says, the rich has been sent away empty. God sent the rich away empty. What is she talking about? She's talking about how God is tearing down something so that he can build up something else. He is against the proud. He is tearing down authorities that, that rule against him in opposition to him. And he is sending the rich, the self-sufficient, those who think they don't need God away. And he's doing all this in this little baby. And only some people can see it. Can you see it? Do you see it tonight? When God's spirit fills us, we see the world this way. We see the kingdom of God for what it is. It's upside down. It's different. Her, her song is about these vastly different realities. She says, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is what God's kingdom is. This is, this is what God is doing. He's tearing down something, but he's, he's lifting up as well. He's lifting up the humbled ones. Mary's a humbled one. Again, it's not just that she has this humble mindset about her. It's that she knows, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm, I, I, I'm not famous. I don't have wealth. I don't have power. She says, God's lifting me up. And she's poor and God's saying, he, and she's saying, God's actually filling me. This is what God is doing. She's seeing everything in a different way. Rome looks pretty powerful, but, but this unborn baby is even more powerful. Because the God of the universe is acting for and through the least likely candidates. It's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new way of seeing the world. It's upside down. It's, it's different than we imagine. It's, it's the humble who are being lifted up. My son's favorite artist is a rapper. So we listen to a lot of hip hop in my house. And this rapper's name is Lecrae. You know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. It's your fault, but Google it. Cray says it this way. I think he gets it right in his song, Broke. So good. He says it this way. I think maybe he was listening to Mary's song. He says, being broke made me rich. Being low made me high. I like that. That's the gospel. It's the ones who know that they live in a humble estate. The ones who think, I, I am nobody, but God has seen me. It's those, those folk are lifted up. God's saying, I'm acting on behalf of them. Do you feel tonight like that's, that's you, that you're unnoticed? Do you feel like the world doesn't care about you? Do you feel completely broken? God says, I'm coming after you tonight. 
I'm acting on your behalf. My son is here for you. God acts. And the third thing, the final reason why Mary worships is because God speaks. Amen? God speaks. She says it this way. As she finishes her song, she says, in verse 54, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I love that. She says, God speaks. She starts to sing out this song because God speaks. She says, God, it's, it's just like you said it was. It happened just like you said it would. She, she hearkens back to the beginning of the biblical story. Genesis 12, God plucks this nobody named Abram out of the middle of nowhere and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. And not just you, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Beginning of the biblical story. And here's Mary. She starts singing, God, you said it would happen, and it did. You said you were going to do this, and you were right. Your word is true. Your promises are true. You've come through just like you said you would. When God speaks, it's his promise. And all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Didn't, did you know this? We sang that? Sing that verse? That, that great song tonight. It comes from 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says this, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Him is Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God speaks. He has spoken most clearly through Jesus. I like to think about that one. You know, why do, why, do we, why do we end a prayer in Jesus' name? Because I'll suggest that, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. So when we speak out to God, we're acknowledging that the greatest thing, the greatest prayer that God has answered is our need for a savior. And he's done that in Christ. So when we say in Jesus' name, it's not a magic formula. It doesn't mean that we get everything we want. But we begin to believe in our hearts and to say out loud in our words, all the promises of God are true. So I can trust him. I'm going to trust you right now in Jesus' name. I love this song. I love Mary's song. Uh, it's like, it's, I don't even, I just had such a deep impact on my own life. And um, the thing that happens when God fills us with his spirit and, and we see Jesus as he is, which is what happens to Elizabeth, it's what happens to Mary. It's the, the Elizabeth's baby, John, his whole life is to testify to Jesus, John the Baptist. This is like all he does. He doesn't even have time to like comb his hair. All he's doing is talking about Jesus. And um, what, so what happens, I think, in, in our lives when God fills us with his spirit is that, is that this song of this, um, like for me, this, this like Hebrew teenage girl 
you know, Middle Eastern girl's song becomes the song of like a white 34-year-old male. You know, it's like my, this somehow, this is like my song. And it's not because, um, well, certainly what happened to her has not happened to me, but, but uh, kind of, right? Because God has done good things for me. And, um, and this is true when, when God has scattered my pride He's, he's even torn me down so that he can build me up, so that I can be transformed into the image of Christ. This is what God is actually doing. So when we say that God is tearing things down, his aim is to build something new. Amen? God doesn't want to just crush the proud for the sake, because he's into that sort of thing. God wants to remake us into the image of his son. That is his goal. That is his aim. God wants to make a new kind of people who love and worship him because he's good, because we see what he's doing in the world. Each of us are invited into that tonight.